You can't just go up and say, okay, look, now I'm the king of this bitch. Let's go, right? You can't just do that. Believe me, I've tried. No, but I think that you can. Hang on, I didn't think this through. I just took a bite of Kit Kat. You did. It looks delicious. Mm-hmm. Hi, and welcome to Gen Extemporaneous. This is a podcast where I come up with an idea, I do some research, I grab a bottle of wine, I bring everything to Mark, and he pontificates. This is the second episode in the three-episode arc about the crowd and groupthink. Today, we are going to look into one particular theory of the crowd, a theory that has roots in the end of the 19th century, was practically applied quite liberally throughout the first half of the 20th century, has undergone some revision in the late 20th and early 21st centuries, and is still considered a seminal work for anyone wishing to understand the psychology of the crowd. Even more today than ever, in light of things like 9-11, QAnon, and the January 6th insurrection, it is important for us to understand how crowds form and why they behave the way that they do. We are all a part of one kind of group or another, so we're bound to disappoint you when we question whether you're thinking for yourself, but we're Gen X. We got our sensitivity chips late in life, and we're still learning how to use them. Mark Snedeker. Hello, Christina LaRusso. Hey, I thought we agreed that I would now be called Super Podcast Guy. <laughs> Mark is such a mundane I, appellation. I reject Super Podcast Guy. Super Podcast Guy. Well, you say that, but I'm, it's going to wear on you, I, I think. No, it's grow on me, you mean, is what you meant no, to say. No, I think wear, it's going to wear it on It is you. going to wear on me. <laughs> no, I think I picked the right one. Mark. Let's do a hot take. take. Hot take on just crowd psychology. What do you think? Well, it makes people real dumb. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, it just makes them dumb. So somebody will get an idea in their head, and they'll get a couple other guys that agree with them, Mm -hmm. and then they're like, you know what would be a great idea? If we would set some shit on fire. And they're (laughs) like, yeah, yeah, that's really good. Yeah. (laughs) Fire. Great. Fire. Uh, And then they go and they set shit on fire, or they destroy a building or they throw people out of windows, you know, whatever. So it makes people dumb because, as you have pointed out, I think. Well, in our last episode. Crowds don't reason. Mm -mm. They just feel. And they just kind of go wherever the predominant spirit leads them. And it's often in very bad directions. Not always, but often. Often in bad directions. Okay, that's true. Plus, you have a certain anonymity in a crowd kind of the way you do on internet, mm-hmm. right? So you're more likely to do shitty things because you feel like there's less chance of there being any kind of consequences for you because you're just part of the group, right? So I think that it, it tends to embolden people to act in ways they might not otherwise act. Right. In our last episode on this subject, <laughs> we discussed various theories of the crowd. Yeah. So Gustave Le Bon's is probably the most famous one of all. So right. we talked about like four or five theories in the last one, Freud and a couple of other guys. Gustave Le Bon's is the most famous of them all. He has gone undergone, as many do, critiques. So he was writing at the end of the 19th century in the, in the late oh 1800s. He was applied practically, as I mentioned in the introduction, 
throughout the 20th, the early first half of the 20th century. So like, like by Lenin very famous, famous people, people yeah. Hitler, Lenin, but then also Roosevelt and yeah, Churchill. Yeah. Basically, all the leaders of World War II were operating under and Gustav's many of the guys theory. who were in World War One. That's some fringe theory. I really like the way he leveraged MTV to really oh make God. himself that much more popular. <laughs> all right, so. He, to me, when I was doing my research on the crowd, I thought, as I was reading him, I thought his is the most, to me, correct. Yeah. Now, it's not 100% correct. His is kind of a, the basis, in fact. And then if you add in some of these other guys, it makes it... Refines it. It somewhat. refines it. So it, it's not just what he says. It's what he says with some other things from the other theorists that we talked about last week kind of added in. So he was writing in 1896, so not quite 100 years after the end of the French Revolution. He viewed the time in which he was living, which is really an industrial time. It's a time where people sure. are moving away from Everybody traditional hierarchies. Everybody is going to world fairs and riding in balloons. Yes, <laughs> and they're, you know, people are working in industry, right. and, and so they are falling away from traditional hierarchies, much yeah. in the same way that we've been talking about John Verveke in our crisis of meaning episodes, how John Verveke, the psychology professor at University of Toronto, is talks about how people are not a part of the church anymore. They're not in the Shriners. They're not a part of clubs. Their communities are not necessarily nested in geography, but might be spread out over internet and all of that. He's saying kind of the same thing. He's seeing the same thing happen in his time. Um, so he believed that the time that he was living in was one that was determined to substitute the conscious action of the individual with the unconscious action of the crowd. So what I would say there is that he is a little bit myopic because the crowd had always existed. Right, of course. This was not something new. He just was feeling it really a lot yeah. because of where he was like in time. Like literally torches and pitchforks were a big thing in the middle ages right a hundred percent and what he's what he wasn't really looking at it in the frame of of history he was looking at it just in like what has happened here and then really in the last 100 years right yeah. because i mean for us 100 years ago was world war one that is still a big thing when we think about geopolitical sure uh, especially things. if you're talking about central europe obviously absolutely all right so when we consider a polemic like Le Bon's, I think it's important for us to understand his bias and where his thoughts are coming from. Like I said, he's a, not even 100 years removed from the French Revolution. Right. That's a huge rupture. Oh, of course. That was That's a big change. Globally impactful. The revolution and then you get Napoleon and the Napoleonic Wars and, right. and then the the next Napoleon. I mean, France is in this real kind of um, upheaval politically. So, but bias is important to understand when we're looking at things like this. Yeah. And I think one of the things that people maybe don't understand. I think that a lot of people do now, but there is no one that comes to the table without a bias, you know, even newspapers. So, all right, we can't get away from bias, but I think one of the ways that we can better understand things uh, is to dig into what someone's bias is. Or just adopt logic. All right. So some of the things that were influencing Le Bon were a series of crises in France. Uh, right. we, we talked about the revolution, but then- Crises it, in France, the enlightenment, Roxy music- <laughs> all right so he he's some of some of the things that were near to him in time collapse of the major banks and stock market 
in 1882. So I didn't even you know, know that they had happened. a financial crisis. There was a rise of nationalist, anti-Semitic, and anti-Republican movements during oh, the sort of pretty much every century, 19th but yeah. century. But yes, so the Boulanger affair of the late 1880s. Right before this was the Franco-Prussian War. But it's a precursor to World War One. Why? Because Germany defeated France and took the Alsace-Lorraine away from them. Right, Strasbourg, and, uh, Colmar, and so this was a big hurt for the French and they wanted revenge on Germany. They wanted that back. What are we going to do? Perhaps we could just surrender again. (laughs) (laughs) So, but, but okay. So the Franco-Prussian war, they lost a big chunk of France. They're bitter about it. They want to get that back. And this general Georges Boulanger was a reformist and he entered into the French political milieu. He was a general, he was in the army and he began courting the favor of the army and the working men. Boulanger had become prominent as a minister of war and he won popularity in the army through various reforms. So for instance, he improved their food and their living conditions. He let them grow beards. He spent heavily on uh, expenditures for the army and he was aggressively hostile towards Germany and that's what they wanted oh, to they hear he that. was a, yeah. he was a hawk right he wanted to, to get that part of France back yeah ultimately he was the face of a plot which was co-signed by royalists and socialists to overthrow the existing Republic so this is a time of like upheaval yeah. in, in the government and so again think about this in terms of the crowd and what Lebon is looking at there were also political conflagrations like the Panama scandals of 1892, and this was around sort of the a French company's failed building attempt at constructing a Panama Canal. But this well, again was on, was kind real. of attack on the republic. You know, you know who's going to build that, girl? I know. <laughs> Come on, uh, but it isn't going to be France. Let me tell you that. Close to a half a billion francs were lost, and members of the French government yeah. had to, had taken bribes. Yeah, they're like, ugh. Apparently, digging ditches is really hard. Yeah. <laughs> there were a rash of anarchist bombings and assassinations through the early 1890s now. Now, was Marxism on the rise at this point yet? That I'm might be sure like a couple Marx, of decades. When did Marx and Lenin, uh, not Marx and Lenin, uh, Marx and um, Engels, when did they write the Communist Manifesto? Probably the right way, around that time. By the way, if your seminal work is called a manifesto, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. might judge you a you little bit. might be an insult. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 1848. Okay, so... So we got to feel like Marxism is starting to get some traction. There, these ideas are out there, and certainly socialism and such. Okay, so then there's also the Dreyfus affair. Oh, my gosh, yeah, we got to get a bigger boat. <laughs> Not Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> are Mark. you sure? Was he, like, carving mountains in mashed potatoes no. at the dinner table? All right, so the Dreyfus affair is about Captain Alfred Dreyfus, a, a man in the army, the French army, who was convicted of treason uh he was of jewish descent mm. falsely convicted and sentenced to there life imprisonment now we right? know why he's in prison right so he went to prison in french guyana where he spent nearly five years then he was retried a lot of prominent people supported him but he was convicted again sentenced to another 10 years but then he was pardoned so to someone like Le bon, what would this seem like people are just kind of being swept up by these movements mm-hmm whether they're socialist or Marxist or nationalist, whatever it is, they're being swept up by these movements and just kind of moving with the tide. It's like, oh, we're hating Jews now? Fine by me. Mm-hmm. I'm in. Let's throw some in jail. Right. Or we hate the Slavs or whoever we're hating today. Right. You know, the Kaiser, fuck that guy. Right. So, And, and it's going to move into that, right? So this is 
that's eventually what's going to happen. This is moving towards a moment where you end up in World War One. And which I feel is like really a horrifying. when crowds take over, things like nationalism and populism become we, co- we become more cries. yeah, and they, be, they we become more susceptible to that kind of influence, right? Because we're no longer now rationally thinking about government and policy and everything. We're just like, you know, yeah, go team. Let's fuck some shit up. Well, here's the question. Are we ever able to be rational about those things? Because I think that what we do is we just we well, just side a, up. There's a certain percentage of the population, I think, that can be. You know, they tend to be thought leaders. Mm-hmm. You just have to be, you really just want the, and it's hard to, make this happen but you want the right kind of thought leaders because you're right a certain percentage of the crowd is just going to pick sides and go do or die for their team so oh are we enlightenment people now okay i'm all in the glory of man and intellect and etc let's do that but it's just as easy for them to go you know what our new thing is we hate the jews and Mm -hmm. they're like "Ah, i'm on board let's you know let's make their lives miserable. Mm-hmm. So it's very easy, especially in times of transition and turmoil, mm-hmm. where people are experiencing, oh, I don't know, crises of meaning, possibly. <laughs> it is. Uh, they, they look for something to follow, something right. to give them meaning, coherence, be part of a group. People love that shit. Mm-hmm. So. All right. So let's talk about... His argument. Let's get a little, let's dig into his argument a little bit. He's very methodical in how he lays out his argument. And the first thing that he he wants to talk about is sort of the mind of crowds and kind of how they become crowds, how they, because what his, fundamentally what he says is crowds, they're not operating as individuals, whatever their shared fervor is. They aren't thinking as individuals anymore. They're thinking as a single mind. Yeah. They're just following the vibe right whatever it happens to be that day right the individual once they are in the crowd their conscious personality vanishes so they become a collective mind and what he says is they're the sentiments and ideas of all the persons in the gathering take one in the same direction and their conscious personality vanishes so they're actually operating at an unconscious level, or they're, yeah. it's not really, they're not being individuals anymore. Right, they not, are just one. They're not rationally going through each step. Okay, should I throw this guy out the window? Yeah, I think that's a good move. I'm right. going to do it. There's like, we're throwing people out windows. Let's do it. Here's a guy here. I don't know who he is. Whoosh. Yeah. Thunk. <laughs> that's he's, it. He's the other. We don't like him. Right. He stands against what we believe in. Yeah. He. There's no reasoning like, well, should we try and talk through, talk this through? Right. No. No. We just go and we... I would say that one little adjustment I would make to his theory is he should really distinguish between a crowd and a crowd. Okay, say more. So you've gone to a soccer game, right? Your son plays soccer. You've gone to the game. You can call it a crowd. I mean, it's soccer in America, so there's not 20,000 people there, but it's a crowd, right? You're not all thinking with one mind. Right. There's a kind of crowd where something takes over and then they have that cap. Let's call it a capital C crowd. Right. Now they're a crowd and now they're going to fuck shit up. Okay, so I have oops, I have a I have an example of that. I'm sure I have an example of where it isn't a crowd at my son's soccer and where it is. So in one case, in most cases, you're there, you're watching the game. It's fine. It's fun. Cheer for the kid you care about. Right. Whatever. And all the other boys whose names you know. And, you, yeah, you know, yeah. you're just chit-chatting with parents. And right. it's just fun. 
But then someone on the other parent's side, on the other team's side in the parent section, says or does something. Dares to chirp up. And they say something. And that it, kid, that number 13 14. or... <laughs> number 14's a jerk. <laughs> and then... And then you get crazy. And you then, shift, you and shift then, into and crowd then, think, And then you right? start into crowd think. And there was one game that we played where that literally happened. The, the parents on the other side became so obnoxious and really did lash out first at yeah. someone on our team yeah. that all of the parents on... My, uh, my son's team just became outraged and we were just being petty and, and stupid. And you would have set them on fire if you had the we opportunity. Could, and it really wasn't. So instead of just, you know, instead of just being polite and cheering when our boys started really winning, no, I mean, because our like, boys really, face. and then we yeah. were like stomping on the yeah, metal. Yeah. And I mean, oh, that, that the, the, they were, that team was being trounced. Yeah. You were those fans. And we were those fans because they had been jerks. So we rubbed it in their well, face. See, and that's one of the things that a crowd really can use is... And other to unite against. Exactly. But see, like you're still a crowd, right? The crowd goes wild, right? Or the you know the crowd today is twenty thousand five hundred and six, but they're not a crowd. No. Right. So I think he could have made that distinction because not every time there's a large group of people do people lose their fucking shit. Okay. So he also suggests that a psychological because what do you what he what he calls them then at this point is a psychological crowd, meaning that they are moving with one psychology. Oh well, then maybe he already did what I just told him to do. No, Good job. So what he says is... Nice work, Simon. <sighs> Gustav. Yes, that's right. A psychological crowd does not have to be in proximity. And in fact, many thousands of people who are isolated can acquire, under the influence of certain emotions, characteristics of a psychological crowd. QAnon, right? That's a perfect example. They're not near each other. In fact, they're not near anybody. They're isolated in their basement. But they're united by the internets... And they're not in physical proximity, but they still behave like a crowd. Mm -hmm. You buy that? I no, I agree with you. I know a hundred percent, and yeah. I think that he's he's very right about that. And it's interesting that he had that insight. I don't even know how that happened back then. Did they have really fast pamphlets or something? I I don't know. I I see. I would think that in order to be that kind of a crowd, you would have to have moments of coming together or even if sure. the majority so maybe he's saying it can be smaller clusters of people that believe yeah. in something but he seems to say you don't have to be in physical proximity to have to be a part of a crowd how how would that how would that work in, in that day and age um we've decided to hate the jews right mm -hmm. we're all gonna hate the jews now i know you hated them before but now we're gonna really hate them so we're now going to, you know, storm the Jewish ghetto. Uh, we're going to... But that takes more than one person. I understand that. But at a certain point, everybody just kind of starts buying into it. Even if they're not at this initial crowd where, you know, the chief anti-Semite raises up and says, we're doing this. But everybody kind of gets this anti-Jewish fever. You you hate Jewish people. You know that, that you're, you're a part of a group. Although there's no one standing next to you. Right. So then when you're face to face, yeah, my group you're emboldened is, to still be yeah. nasty to that Jewish right. person. My group is anti-Semites. You know, right. maybe we'll wear T-shirts. We're not sure yet. You know, you hear things or whatever, and it kind of can build that fervor. In the last, you know, in the last administration where certain groups felt emboldened, right, by mm -hmm. the president's winking and nodding at racist behavior, became part of a cra that crowd, right? We're the... You know, we're the hate whatever Trump hates crowd, and they felt emboldened because they they know that other people are acting on this. Mm -hmm. and they're like, 
I can act on it too. Yeah. Right. I can now go down to my local deli and start ranting at people or whatever it is. Well, also, well, right. Or, uh, you know, we've seen things on online, particularly with COVID, where there was a lot of anti-Asian sentiment. Yeah. And you would have Asian individuals standing on a corner and someone just comes up and starts beating on them. Yeah. Right. So that's an, that's another thing. So would that person, if they didn't know that a lot of other people in the world right. supported that, I don't know. You have I, to, I mean, you have to, it's a, it's a higher hurdle then, mm-hmm. right? I mean, some people are just going to do crazy shit regardless, right. right? They don't need, uh, you know, any kind of bolstering or excuse or whatever. But as you lower that bar by giving them tacit approval or large numbers that support their way of thinking. Yeah. And reinforcing those negative feelings or whatever they are, mm-hmm. positive feelings too, good theoretically, right? Right. They're going to be more likely to engage in these behaviors. Not certain, right. but more likely. He claims that sentiment in a crowd is contagious. Burner. She's a witch, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I hadn't thought about that. Yes. Burn her. She's a witch. I'm with you guys, you know, whatever. So that... I mean, it is a contagion, right? It, it spreads from person to person, spreads through the whole crowd. It seems like it's a good idea. And especially if, okay, your one friend says, this is a good idea. Yeah. And you, you're you part of this crowd. And, and then you say, well, if they think it's a good idea. I must, I, yeah. It probably is a good idea. Because again, what LeBon is saying is that no one's thinking as an individual. My, indiv- my initial take was, no, we probably shouldn't burn her. But now that my friends and the rest of the crowd have shown me the error of my ways. Yeah, definitely burn her. Definitely burn her. The witch trials are a perfect example where yeah. years later, upon reflection, people kind of said, you know what? Wow, that was really that was bad. a lot. We Why did, did we do that? Right, yeah. and and because we don't understand. Because they're no longer in the grip of the crowd. Because the crowd fervor, whatever that whatever. was, whatever that burned moment. Out. Yeah, burned. Well, that's a terrible. <laughs> <laughs> See what I did well, there? In, in Salem, they they hung them, but yeah. but right, you're not wrong. Yeah. If the fervor passes, yeah. and like, you kind of look back on it and go, Why do we do that? Why was I doing that? <laughs> oh, no, luckily <laughs> I wasn't the only one. <laughs> I'd be in big trouble. <laughs> Well, right. And and remember, a lot of this talk, this discourse around crowds, because we know for sure crowds existed before Gustave Le Bon started talking yeah. about it. Oh, for sure. But the, it was done in the context of who can we blame? Who's who's the one to, yeah. to blame? Okay, so um, okay, so he's also talks about human suggestibility as a reason why people are prone to get themselves into into crowds. And so he he says people are almost like hypnotized and all of their discernment falls by the wayside. Their full reptile brain at that point, right? Right. They're not conscious of their acts. All they do is act. And they think that because they get then support and cheered on by the members of their crowd. This is a good idea. This is a really good idea. That is the religious fanaticism. And in particular, I would say someone who says, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to strap a bomb to me. I'm going to kill myself and then take a bunch of people with me or fly a plane into a building. That is a person that is just... Or drink some flavor aid. <laughs> or right. Self-preservation is one of the strongest instincts in the human being. And here, their self-preservation is completely overridden by because, religious fervor. And their, their idea and, of self may even have been, you know, it's definitely on the back shelf at that point, right? They're not thinking of Bob the bomber. They're thinking of the movement, their God, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And they're not thinking about, well... 
is this really a good career move for me? <laughs> you know, it seems like there's a limited life here, literally. <laughs> One thought I had, and I don't know how it works into Gustav's theory or not, but at certain times, not only is the crowd one mind, it's also one entity. Physically, I read some stuff about crowd disasters, the Who concert, mm -hmm. uh, the f football game in Sheffield, Black Friday, mm -hmm. right? Where people are just in this swell where you can't really even distinguish between, you know, your neighbor and the guy behind you or whatever. You're just this big mass. And they describe the physics of this mass having waves. You know, like if someone in the back stumbles, a couple of people stumble around them. That causes a wave to propagate through the whole crowd. Mm -hmm. And they're basically one, you have to treat them mathematically as one massive multicellular being. That makes them even more dangerous because now you're not an individual deciding, I'm going to go up and punch this guy. Now you're just surging forward as a crowd and enveloping him like some kind of crazy giant amoeba. Right. Well, and it's not, and in that case, it's not even an enemy of the crowd. It's the crowd hurting members of its own oh, sure. entity. Oh, sure. Because now individuals are just not even part of the calculation. I mean, if you thought about it, it's like, well, maybe if, maybe pushing towards the stage right now could really hurt some people. You're like, no. Our goal as a crowd is to get to the stage. We're all moving forward. Even if you don't want to, you're carried along with the crowd, right? Because you're now part of this big organism. Mm -hmm. And they've had to try to calculate, you know, safety laws and things, thinking of them as one big organism rather than 100,000 individuals where a turnstile, for example, perfectly effective with an individual. A 10,000 particle mass, however, mm -hmm. turnstiles aren't that great, right? right. They just create problems and kill people. So you're talking about physically, mm -hmm. but now talk about it in, in a different way. Labonte says it doesn't matter who the individuals are. So it could be that there's a doctor and a guy who is a street sweeper yeah. and someone, you know, like, so you can be different classes. You can be different a lamp levels. Lighter. I bet there was a lamp lighter. Lamp lighter. <laughs> well, in the case of the, of the storming of the Bastille, there was the, uh, the, All the, lamp the wine, lighter. no, the yeah. wine merchants. Remember? Oh, there you go. That's right. Okay. So drunk, it could be <laughs> jerks, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> so it levels everyone out. So it doesn't matter who you are as an individual, everything gets leveled out in the crowd intellectually and and all that but then also as you're pointing out just as bodies as yeah. you just become one with certain crowds not all crowds no no right and and obviously not every crowd is identical so for a brief period of time i think i've told you this i worked for target and at a particular time i found myself in charge of asset protection <laughs> right i was the guy i decided who was stealing stuff I found shoplifters. Wow. Yeah. You're not even a police no. professional. Oh, hell no. And when you're in that room and you have 20 TVs, every single person on that screen looks like a fucking thief. The Pope could walk through you like, mm, what's he got under that robe? <laughs> <laughs> Is he stealing Prell? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but so anyway... Black Friday comes. Uh -huh. Now, th this is a target in a college town. So there's a lot of young people there. So I'm in charge of Black Friday. So big crowd outside, closed doors. First, of all, I went out and I tried to get everybody kind of organized and whatever to varying degrees of success. Mm -hmm. So I decided for some reason to take my life in my hands and say, I'm going to go in when these doors open, I'm going in first and I'm going to walk back to electronics. Mm -hmm. Anybody who passes me, is getting thrown out. 
Now, I could have easily been trampled to death, but for whatever reason, the crowd decided, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. Okay, I guess we'll do that. But it, the problem is if there had been a competing voice, you know, open the doors, mm-hmm. open the doors, like the big Walmart, the first Black Friday death where they were like screaming to open the doors, they crashed down the doors and it pinned a guy underneath and he killed him. Yeah. If there had been a competing voice there, you don't know which voice is going to come out on top because it's not a rational process. I know that my argument is better, right? If you do that, nobody will die. You still get to your shit and uh, you won't get thrown out. Yeah. Wow. I know. But, you know, <laughs> luckily my force of my commanding personality oh, my saved the day. Oh, my God. <laughs> my, I had my little, you know, security red jacket on. But, okay, well, now this is an interesting segue because Lebon says one of the things, one of the key indicators of, of these crowds is that they're they're impulsive. Oh, yeah. But in that case, they listened to reason and they weren't. And, and you're right. saying, well, because there's there was no other competing voice, but they could have still I mean, it's a tricky thing. They could have still been like, you know what? I know what he said, but I really want to get that $80 digital camera. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm a little far back. So maybe I'll just motor. Were to they the younger than you? Who? Was it a the much crowd? younger crowd? Crowd was varied. Oh, OK. Yeah. So. I mean, the guys, the people who worked for me were mostly college, college kids. kids. So, but he said he also, so the impulsiveness aspect of it, he says premeditation is absent from crowds. And I disagree with that. I think that there are some crowds that are where the activity is extraordinarily premeditated. It's coordinated and the might of the crowd is what makes it work. January 6th. Right. Fully planned. Right. And they had, now they had all the kind of the elements that uh, that particular crowd needed. Yes, they were planned. They had brought equipment weapons etc with them they uh the president himself we've learned now in the last few days had a plan to march with them into the capitol he was going to go into yeah. the capitol the only reason he didn't was the secret service wouldn't let him i and thought he, he was he gonna... wanted them to take down all the metal detectors on the uh where he was speaking because he said they're not here to hurt me and i think what he really meant was they're not here to hurt me you know <laughs> right, what i mean right right so uh but anyway so yeah there was absolutely planned there was forethought but they also had to rely on that contagion right so they had to whip the crowd up which was what trump and giuliani and whoever the fuck else did and they had been i mean that oh, yeah. that crowd that crowd was 4 years plus in the making absolutely. and and actually many more many more years beyond that one one of the thing lebon one of the things that lebon does say is that the ideas whatever the idea is that becomes the reason yeah. For being in that crowd at that moment, the core belief. It was a seed. At it some was point. a it was a seed that had been planted in ground that had been plowed and prepared for a long time before that. Now, if Simon, if Simon, sorry, <laughs> if Gustav had said that to me, I'd be like, "You mean like your mom?" Oh, <laughs> <laughs> terrible. Yes, but but that makes sense, right? Because we believe that. Really, the reason Trump gets elected is because of a long-term kind of percolating... Simmering. ...sentiment that was there, but untapped. Right. So those people, because they weren't really being courted, weren't really being activist, and they weren't yeah. really maybe even voting. But and, for and Trump, you, they came out. you know what out. prevented that in the past was some level of adherence to norms. Yeah. Right? And he was, I mean, if nothing else... He will be famous for breaking norms, 
didn't disclose his taxes. Um, the misogyny and the yeah, rape and the, charges and, and the all just, of that. Yeah, and the, just the, you know, the constant, constant lying. Although the ground had been tilled by multiple years of presidents who did stuff like that and just got away with it because the press looked the other way. Sure, no doubt about it. But again, that's another that was another norm, right? We don't expose this because of the bad effects it could have. Now, that, I think that was wrong-headed obviously to, you know, hide bad behavior, but norms are in place partially to control this kind of impulsive crowd behavior. Mm-hmm. Norms can help in those situations, but of course if the crowd is at a certain fever pitch, norms go out the window. Um, Lebon also claims that crowds are mobile, and that, and by that he means they can go from one extreme to another, and both extremes make sense to them. Yeah, like so they okay, can go gonna... from bloodthirsty behavior to heroism. They can, yeah. like, even if a crowd has done bad, bad, bad things, there's that crowd can still turn around and do something that would be objectively termed heroic generosity or heroism maybe there's a competing voice or they they do at some point realize the horror of what they've been doing i don't know do you believe it could be i think it is the ideal whatever the ideal is uh in one case it needs to be protected and they're in in the crowd's mind yeah so then the crowd will circle that around that thing and protect it at all costs right. and that can lead to bloodthirsty and terrible behavior or the ideal needs something that will make it look better and so then the crowd does something that would be objectively philanthropic yeah on behalf of that ideal i think that's maybe what he's talking about well, okay, let's let's look at look at a church where they can do things like the Inquisition. Yeah. But then also give the alms poor. to the poor. I would argue though, I'm not sure that that's a crowd, rather a these are the same people that were in that crowd and have now changed to a different crowd behavior or are not part of that crowd behavior, at least for the time being. Right? Like if they're storming the castle, they're unlikely to stop and help someone with a broken leg. I mean, they might, I guess, but it's hard to see the mechanism by which that switches the crowd from burn them to help that guy. So are you suggesting that within a crowd, an individual might remember his individuality? Absolutely. Okay. Um, All right. So do you think that crowds are able to admit that they've been wrong? LeBon says no. I don't think a crowd is going to go from hang that vice president, hang that. You know what? No, we're wrong. Don't hang the vice president. <laughs> New chant. And how invincible do you think that individuals feel because of the backing of the crowd? I think self-preservation is barely even a thought at that point. But they do. They feel, you know, powerful because now they have strength, literally strength in numbers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like if I had to storm the Capitol myself... Just me, mm-hmm. excuse me. Just me. I would say I would feel probably a little vulnerable, <laughs> right? To rubber bullets, to real bullets, to a baton, yeah. possibly. I don't think I could get through the door, you know. Mm-hmm. But as a crowd, you're like, yeah, we can do this because we got. I got all my bros with me. Now we have overwhelming numbers, right? So of course you feel strong, pretty much invincible. I assume at some point until you know someone gets shot. It's interesting to see riots get dispersed sometimes because they do have this strong, we're going to rush the police, whatever it is. And then people start getting dropped. The crowd breaks up and they flee. Well, inevitably the police in those situations are 
better armed. But also the police in that situation form their own crowd. Oh, absolutely. Then they take on that same crowd mentality where they're just like, we're going to fuck some people up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bash this old lady with my shield, you know, whatever. Because, yeah. Because because she's the other. I mean, we've seen that. Where, where was that? Was that on January 6th where an older man was... No, that was what a was that, uh, that was Black that- Lives Matter. I think it was a Black Lives Matter protest. And this guy was just like standing on the sidewalk, you know, in the cops way as they were trying to clear the sidewalk and they just and they busted him over. Right. So someone who is essentially harmless is not yeah. really maybe even a part of that crowd. Yeah, didn't matter. There's just collateral damage just to the good skulls. of their crowd. So crowd against crowd, which of course obviously the wars are like that. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about exaggeration in crowds. So exaggeration, not only in like like their feelings. So they could be feeling good or they could be feeling bad. It's not just it's a on eleven. Bit. It's yeah, it's extra. Everything is just so super inflated in terms of um, of emotions. Even if you're just at a crowd that's not murdering people, mm-hmm. for example, like you're at a basketball game, yeah. right? And something exciting happens and. If you're watching at home, you're like, yes, good job. Nice shot, Michael Jordan, whatever it is. But when you're with 30,000 people, it just seems like more. It seems more exciting. And you're screaming your fucking head off. And is that really the individual divorced from that? Here's something. Here's a point where I would I would push back a little bit about sort of no individuals in crowd. Yeah. Because what if what drives you to find a crowd is is an interest in something? So for me, as an individual, day to day, I can like Duran Duran just fine. Right. Simon Le Bon. <laughs> ah, see? See? You're bringing him in, too. I am. I am. Grandpa Gustav is proud. <laughs> so I can like them just fine by myself. My intensity of liking them increases if I'm talking to someone about them. Oh, Absolutely. Okay, so then what he says is that crowds will use excessive language and like sort of they'll use words to exaggerate and charged language. And sure, because you're feeding into not only are you being fed by this hyped up energy from the crowd, but you're feeding back into it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, look, if you're at the Duran Duran concert and everybody's going, yeah, Simon, you're like, Simon, that was quite good, <laughs> right? right? That just doesn't seem like enough. You're like, fucking hey, Simon, nice one. <laughs> yeah. Take your pants off. <laughs> Whatever comes into your head, but it just doesn't seem enough in a crowd to go, oh, well done. Yes, clap, clap, clap. That was quite good. Right. right? Well, Unless you're I mean, at a cricket that's, match. That's also kind of knowing, reading the room. That's sure. also reading the room. Absolutely. But like- Like you don't I'm go- just- if, if you had a really good opera, you don't go, fucking hell, yeah, that was awesome, bitch. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, you do have to like be a little bit more restrained. Right. But I'm thinking about now more like Hitler and the yeah. impact. So excessive st- sentiments and, sure. and sort of like very performative. It's You're not just saying what you're saying. You are performing what you're saying. Right. You're, you've got those char- the charge language. I know that now when we look back, we see Hitler and we're like, the hell, what was anybody even impressed with? He looks like a joke. Whatever they were hungry for, they were getting it from him. And it was all probably, according to Laban, done with excessive sentiment, but kind of ve- with vague meanings. Remember last week's episode? Yeah. We were talking about how the words that they used to rile up the crowds often have vague meanings sure. to them. 
You, not, you can't really pin it down. You know what liberty is, but do you really know what liberty yeah. is? Love, love it's is just another kind of one. vague ideas, right? Right. So that serves a few purposes. First, it allows them to kind of fill in the blanks themselves. Because mm-hmm. right? if you're too if you're too specific, you're just going to lose them. But if you say yes, this is for liberty or freedom or death or whatever it is, right? Depending mm-hmm. on whether you're William Wallace or King Theoden, right? You're giving this just. Very powerful one-word answer. You have to boil it down for them a little bit, right? You can't mm-hmm. say, well, here's why we're here. Uh, if we don't, Sauron's going to pour over the West, and it's going to change all of our ways of life. We'll probably become slaves. Mm-hmm. No. You go, death! Mm-hmm. And people can get behind that. Like, yeah, fuck yeah, death. Let's do it. Words are bound up with the images that they evoke. So, like, here's one. Here's really a vague concept that people rally around constantly. constantly. The United States. What do you mean by the United States, right? What do you mean? So, like, uh, you know, the USA, what the United States, what are you talking about? If you're going, you're marching into a battle right. and, and you're in USA. USA or whatever. At oh, a, yeah. Are a, you celebrating the destruction of an indigenous people or right. the years of chattel slavery? Yeah. Or race based slavery? You know, the enlightenment brought to democracy, saving our allies in World War II, whatever it is. You know, th- there's a lot that is in that idea, but I suspect that they're not really parsing that at all. They're, they're not. just like, yeah, USA, USA, it, let's do it. It is. What, is yeah. it. what does it mean? What does the USA mean? Yeah. What does the United States of America mean? Right. right. Slogans really aren't about communicating meaning mm-hmm. or any kind of subtlety or nuance. It's like a meme, right? Mm-hmm. You just want to strike a chord. And if it strikes that chord, whatever those words are, that's going to work. I'm interested now in understanding who isn't in a crowd. I think everybody's in a crowd. Yeah, boy. No, you're not. You're in a crowd. <laughs> I mean, you are. You're in multiple crowds. Yeah. But, I mean, again, there's crowds and crowds, right? I don't feel like I do a lot of rampaging. No. Sometimes. You could get rampaged. Yeah, you're a part of groups, though, but are you a part of activist groups? And this is something right. else that I, I think is is interesting. And, and maybe, it, maybe he wasn't nuanced enough in his argument he really makes it seem again like the crowd is just a, is a monolith that yeah. it, as you mentioned before it's this entity in and of itself right sometimes a physical one it's a blunt instrument basically yeah but i i don't think it is quite that i think that even within crowds there are outliers in crowds i think sure. that, that that maybe there's a core to the crowd and then like maybe if the crowd is concentric circles and the yeah. center is the really tight Crazies, and cra- yeah. like, like the real fervent yeah. believers are in whatever they're believing in. And then as you go outward and we talked about this before, like at January 6th, mm-hmm. I wonder how many of those people actually really believed. Some of them definitely knew and believed what they were going to be doing, yeah. but I wonder how many of them actually thought I'm going to go and I'm going to be going through the doors of the Capitol. I think that a lot of them were tell you, there. One of them thought that. Well, definitely one of them. I'm not arguing that none of them. No, thought I know, that. I'm but you're right. Some of them, on they were the just there were just because there. they wanted to be there. Right. Yeah. Like, I, these are, these are my peeps. I'm pretty angry about some stuff. I'm not really sure what it is. I can't really articulate it. But I'll I'm, let them articulate it yeah, for me. Yeah, right. Let me go down there and see what I'm angry about. So maybe, maybe then there's a way to adjust his argument to say that crowds are useful for whatever the crowd wants, but also for the individuals because the individuals might not be emboldened to do yeah. extra stuff, but Without will a crowd benefit. But not even that, oh. but will benefit if someone else, like they will be glad to be the crowd supporting and cheering that person on. Yeah, but I'm not going to go crashing into the But I'm Capitol. not really going to do that. But 
but by proxy, I've contributed to that. Absolutely. So maybe that's maybe there's that too because the way he talks about it is that it's just it's all for one and one for all. So what? LeBon says is as soon as crowds come together, a leader is going to come right. out of that crowd. And then sometimes it might be a couple of leaders. It could be a couple of voices that rise up. But those people have always been a part of that that crowd that yeah. they're not necessarily outsiders to the crowd coming in. Yeah, they, they didn't they just come, say, they come in. Hey, there's a crowd forming. Maybe I'll go take charge. Maybe I'm going to take charge. Right. Um, but I do believe that that can happen. Could, I do believe sure. that that can happen, but I think that more he's correct, that there's somebody in the crowd that the, that the leader rises up and they have been a part of it. So they understand whatever this ideal is. Remember QAnon Shaman? The one with the... She, like the, had the buffalo hat on yeah, or that whatever. Weird but that's how... I mean, he was seen as at that on that day, right? As one of their leaders because he looked so fucking ridiculous, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. He's like... Dude, that guy's got a staff and a bear head on him. So <laughs> I'm following him 100%. And then it's funny when you see him, like his mug shots and stuff, he's like just this bald guy who's got a lot of food allergies, right? Right. But that's right, but though. But on we that day, he was excessive. He had the symbols of power. He was excessive. He yeah. was really expressing in yeah. an excessive way some of the concepts because I can imagine that these guys are like, yes, let's rip apart animals yeah of course let's wear animal skins because yeah. we're back to the we're, basics yeah, we're barbarians bro <laughs> we're bro barians <laughs> bro barians <laughs> we're proud bro barians <laughs> And that's and that's one of the ways you become a leader, right? You have to distinguish yourself from the crowd a bit. Do you have to know it better than anyone no, else? I don't think so. You don't think so. You don't. I have think to know you it can better be dumb as else. fuck as long as you have the trappings of glory, or you're in that right position, and you have to have a certain force of personality. I don't think Donald Trump knows the details of the stop the steal and the QAnon stuff any better than anybody else. He knows shit. But what he knows is, if I get these people whipped up, they probably will do some violent things, and that's what I want. LeBon's not talking about it here, so I'm asking you this question. Are they earning authority or are they taking power? Are they taking um, control? I think you have to earn the authority in some way, whether mm -hmm. you are the founding member or, you know, the tallest one in the crowd or the one with the coolest spear. Um, no, but I think that you can go in and demand to grab power. I think I you think you can that demand it, it you, but you have to have the acquiescence of some unless you have overwhelming force. force. Right, right, right. The best way that that's how you could do it. You couldn't just you can't You're just, right, you can't. Because keep in mind <laughs> now no, I can't just say well, I'm it. I'm the <laughs> <laughs> I'm queen bitch. What's up? <laughs> no, you can't do that. And you can't really, it, you can't just go in while they're in the, while they're this psychological crowd, you can't go in and make a compelling argument for why you should be the leader, right? Because no, right, they're not thinking. They can't think. So you really have to have something to assist you. Like I said, something that makes you stand out, that gives you authority and they have to buy into it. Otherwise they'll just rip you into shreds. So now we have these, we have a leader now. Mm-hmm. Who is responsible for what the crowd does? Oh, are, well, are they more? Are they the only ones that are morally responsible? Well, that's interesting because that actually is where crowd theory goes. That's where it comes. You know, you've got they. <laughs> They're following my playbook. Well, no, we we spoke about it last week. Is no, that I just it, made it up. No, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> no, you didn't. It's the true crime thing. Oh. Uh, because remember, this was at an, the first sort of discussions about crowd psychology and crowd and group think happened at a true crime talk and yeah. what did what 
a criminal anthropology. Why? Who's responsible? Who's culpable for the actions of a crowd? Who is responsible for actions of a crowd? So certainly you want to hold the leaders, whether they pre-planned it or whether they took charge in the middle, you certainly want to hold them up to account, mm-hmm. right? Trump is definitely responsible for whipping the crowd to a frenzy and the Proud Boys are responsible because they came there to fuck shit up that day. So those guys are easy, right? Mm-hmm. It's the guys that got swept up. And I think what it is, it's a diminishing blame. As you are further and further from the core action, you know, there you can definitely tell people who just kind of got swept up in it. Oh, now I'm in the Capitol. This isn't good. I should try <laughs> to sneak out, right? I'm not going to take a shit on anybody's desk. I'm not going to charge and try to find the speaker. Were there people like that? Oh, the shit on the desk? No, no. that. Oh, that snuck out? I don't know. I don't think we're going to hear much about that. How do you have the wherewithal to do that with your body? You go into I don't know. Thing like, and maybe, then you make yourself yeah, maybe do hit, that? Maybe hit up Taco Bell an hour before you <laughs> went to the know. thing. I don't know. Oh I, w- I would be like, okay, first of all, you guys got to all leave the room because I can't do this while you're watching me. I, know. I can't you're even like, pee on this rug with you guys watching me. Yeah. And room. shh, shh, don't talk. <laughs> Does anybody have something I can read? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I don't know how you get to that point. But And then I guess... I think that, like, even if you're going along in, like, crazed fervor, yeah. and all of a sudden you, you, you see have, someone doing that, right. I'd be like, oh, oh my oh. God, I, think, I can't... I'm going to rethink this. <laughs> I didn't sign up for crapping on desks. Uh-uh. So here's how I would do it. 100% culpability for those who planned, you know, or directed it. Like, you had the big staff and the bear head and you led people into crapping on desks, you're definitely (laughs) mostly responsible. Then individual depraved acts. Mm -hmm. I was in the crowd. We all charged in. I decided to take extra time out to go and punch an old lady in the face, Mm. right? So we're going to individual depraved acts like that. We're going to definitely give you major responsibility. (laughs) Right, right. But then you think about, well, it's definitely morally wrong for them to have rushed into this building. Are you going to charge every single person who walked into the building that day with a felony? Probably not, right? You're going to, I think you get, I, and as strange as it seems, I think you make allowances for a little bit in getting caught up with the crowd. Yeah. For, for the January 6th thing, I think they've arrested already like 700 people or something like that. But how many charged. people total were involved in that march oh, and thousands, all the rest? Yeah, right. Yeah. So it's but small. A lot of them won't be identified, but we're not talking about identifying. We're talking about morality. Mm-hmm. I think there's diminishing moral responsibility as you look more and more like just kind of a leaf on the ocean type, right. a leaf on the river or whatever. Right, that you are one of those ones that are getting carried carried along with the... And you're like, yeah, I was kind of into it, and I just got caught up, Yeah, and I didn't punch an old lady in the face or crap on anybody's desk or anything, so, you know, yeah, it was wrong. Still wrong, Uh right? But we don't really hold them to account the way we do a leader or individual acts of depravity. Okay, so now let's talk about leaving the crowd. This is outside... This is outside, really. He, he didn't talk about this. Lebon thinks you're you're Once a crowd, you're always crowd. Yeah. You're ride or die. <laughs> um, because we watched a documentary way back, and we did an episode on Flat Earthers. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, I want to talk about leaving that crowd. How do you leave that? Well, you're just, you're just one, one of the way you could do it would be just... to do math, but they don't. They don't. That doesn't work. We've seen that that didn't work. Right. Now, right? I'm not talking about the leaders, though, either. I'm talking right. about just the guys I think, who believe it. I think you it. just kind of fade out. Like, I don't think a lot of them go, you know what? Fuck, that was 
really dumb. <laughs> Obviously, the world is not flat. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm out. I think it's more like, you know, you start to have some nagging doubts and you don't go to the con that year. Stop checking your, you know, your Messages. flat earth emails. Yeah, yeah. You maybe don't text back. Your buddies. What's his name? I don't remember that guy's name. <laughs> <laughs> the really, the really wacky. Mark. One. Yeah, that's right. It was Mark. Uh, you don't text Mark back. Maybe <laughs> you kind of ghost him. <laughs> yeah, you start ghosting. I think that that's what you do, right? You yeah. don't you don't rise up and say, "How dare you?" That's You're asking wrong. a lot of a human being. Or do you? Well, could you? You could. You could, but I think that's very rare now. Because if you do that, then you become like probably public enemy number one. Right. If you used to be in the crowd, oh, you yeah. leave the crowd, you stand up and speak out against well, the crowd. So think about Nexium. Yeah. Right? Right. What's her name? Mm-hmm. Definitely went, wow, this is pretty bad. I am out and I'm speaking out. But they did initially fear and There's face. Like, you know what? We're definitely going to get to some retribution here. Yeah. But at a certain point. There are very few people. I mean, like, there's a reason why Profiles and Courage only talked about five people. Mm-hmm. That's a very big hurdle for almost anyone because you're going against your peers, mm-hmm. your social group. You're mm-hmm. breaking the norms of that group. Uh-huh. You're definitely going to be kicked out of that group, yep. right? So you're isolating yourself. Right. And you're going to take abuse and Potentially. Whatever. Yeah, and possibly even harm mm-hmm. by doing this. And nobody is nobody on that side is going to applaud you. Right. Somebody outside the group might, but you don't really care about them as much as the people you've invested in. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, I think that's rare. Okay. Now, what about this? And can the leader ever peace out? Is there you ever? Can but gosh, would they? I'm trying to think of an example. Well, think back to Mark from yeah. the Flat Earth episode. Okay. Remember the scene where he's talking to someone and they say, the interviewers, the producer probably, what if you would find out that it wasn't real? What, you know, yeah. like you what would, would you do? what would you do? Well, like, why, how would you, he likened it to the Truman Show. And yeah. he said to them, well, here's what, he's like, what if I found out that I'm, I'm Truman? And he said, if I'm Truman, I go out to the edge of the world and I walk through that door. But he goes, I'm the mayor. When I was watching it, you could see that he knew. Like he you realized could, he, he was knows. Wrong, he but knows, he's also but he's got, also a hundred percent and he's earning money doing this. Absolutely. He is um got he's got a fan base. He walks around wearing shirts that says that say I'm Mark Sargent. Yeah. He yeah, or like yes I am Mark Sargent. Like he's some big deal. <laughs> right, right. He's been on a now on Netflix documentary. So, yeah, I was always struck by Mark Sargent because when I looked at him, I thought he knows. And then, he knows yeah. he's not. He yeah. knows. And you're probably right. The anonymity of the Internet makes you bolder. Same thing with being in a crowd. Yeah. Right. You're anonymous. You're just a piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Right. So, of course, you're bolder then because you feel like there's no harm to you. There's no danger for you. There's no retribution. You can just do whatever you're feeling in the moment. Yeah. Crowds are fucked up. Crowds are interesting. Yeah, okay, are interesting. so I think what we'll do is quit here. We'll come to yeah. the end here. And we will gloss what's going to happen. So we are going to do an extended conversation on this subject. It's going to be on our Patreon. And that is going to center around the Wilverse. Next, next week, we are going to look at mass hysteria and actions of mass hysteria that follow catastrophic world events or life events, things like that. 
and compare that to what's going on with COVID and some of the ways that people seem to be getting themselves into mass hysteria situations. Yeah. I mean, maybe mass hysteria is a little strong, but this it, it is a very charged situation with the yeah. Wilverse. So regardless of where you listen to us, you're going to hear some comment on the Wilverse vis-a-vis our key subject in next week's episode. So you can listen to us on Patreon or on here, and we'll be talking I about both I am super things. looking forward to that. That is going to be good. We have social media. We do. And we would love if you... We would be fools not to. <laughs> we would love if you would follow us on social media. I am on a new... Twitter page, I have at Christina Gen X on Twitter. Mark is at Mark Eats Peach. Which is very produce related. We have a Gen X Temporaneous Twitter, which is Extemporaneous2. We have a Facebook group, which is at Gen X Temporaneous. So is that it for you? I think that's it for me. I'm just going to say goodbye. Peace out, Cub Scouts. Wow. I mean, I think that's a little anti-ill nuanced. Yeah, well, like <laughs> we're gonna come up with a uh, word for that well at some nuanced. point. Yeah, super non in a nuance. Maybe that word doesn't exist. Yeah. Maybe that concept doesn't. The, did yeah. we invent it? Possibly. No. <laughs> so I'm not gonna waste any more time on the linguistics here, except I probably am gonna be thinking about it as we talk. <laughs> wow. Um, uh, communist. Hold on. Oh, I, my autocorrect decided to make it the convivial manifesto, <laughs> which is a lot friendlier. That's really friendly and nice. Yeah. It's like, you know what? Uh, I was going to do a manifesto, but I just want people to get along. Mm.